Why are you tired? I don't know. Not sleeping again? <sighs> Not sleeping again. Laying on the couch, playing on my phone. <laughs> Some new game, I don't know. It's like farm pop, bubble pop thing. <laughs> Went through like 100 levels in an hour. It was so oh. easy. I think it's made for toddlers, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, I would say that you probably should prioritize sleep over. Uh, thing, I was, I was tired. I just laid down and nothing. Until oh, about one. Then my alarm went off at 630. That's miserable. Yeah. Terrible. I got in the shower at 730. <laughs> it's like, oh, I stink. And with that, welcome to the washdown. <laughs> I am your host, Jeremy Green. And with me is my co-host, Chris Nelson. And also, we have a guest today, uh, retired Master Sergeant Floyd Howell, who spent 22 years in the U.S. Army, and 19 of those years was in Special Forces. So, Bart, welcome. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, I'm not sure what's supposed to be said. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hey, it's me. Yeah. We'll let Jeremy explain all this. Yeah. You and I can take a nap real quick. <laughs> So just why did you choose the Army and then, you know, go from there and talk about, you know, what, why did you make the switch from regular Army to SF? Okay. Um, so I joined the Army when I was 20 right years old. Uh, like a lot of people out there, man, my childhood was jacked up and left home when I was 15. And so just all over the place, uh, trying to find jobs and stay in school graduate school or high school and so i managed to do that and so after that i started working at a chicken plant in russellville arkansas for i don't know it's about eight months or so and i just kept doing that and i was like man there's no way i want this for my life um I, there's just yeah i was looking at all those people around me so i'm 40 50 years old doing that and it's just like no way there's no way i want to keep doing this um, and just so happened to be dating a girl who had a, uh, her dad was a recruiter and I, he'd never asked me, and I mean, I'd been dating her probably, I don't know, three or four months and he'd never once tried to recruit me. And so I just walked in there and said, Hey, uh, what's this whole army thing about? And he started t- telling me about it and stuff. And, um, of course, just like every other guy, I watched all the movies, Rambo and, uh, <laughs> all the other ones with Schwarzenegger and stuff, Commando and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I want to do stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, he's like, all right, well, join the infantry. So I went in and signed up for the infantry. And then at 20 years old, yeah, joined the military. Um, first, I hated it. Um, I was not good with rules or regulations or anything like that because never had it growing up, didn't have a dad. Mom was never around. So I just did what I want when I felt like it. And so, yeah, basic was kind of hard for me because, yeah, I mean, you're up at 4.30 every morning and they were telling you what to do every second of the day. And, um, but what I do appreciate about it is it's now that looking back on it is it built all kinds of discipline, uh, stuff that I didn't have before. So, so I am thankful for that, even though I hated it. Um, yeah, so infantry basic or a basic and AIT was roughly, I don't know, about four months total between the two of them. And then after that, I went to my first duty station in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And yeah, served there for three years in the 502nd, third of the, or first of the 502nd. 
And uh, yeah, so that's where I started my military career at, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, a lot of good times, and uh, deployed with the 502nd to Kosovo in 2001, yeah, right as the, the Serbian-Kosovo war kicked off. And then, so after that, um, actually what, yeah, as I tell these stories, there's, there's a few <laughs> things that'll jog my memory because, I mean, a lot of this stuff I haven't, this is actually the first time I thought about it in probably 15, 20 years. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff, as I'm telling the stories or whatever, it'll jog little parts of my memory. Um, but, yeah, so when I was in Kosovo, we were actually, we just got done doing a patrol, and it was all dismounted patrols and stuff through the mountains. And uh, Kosovo, the region we were in, looks like Colorado. So you have 14 to 15,000 foot mountains and stuff like that. And it's beautiful, beautiful land. And so we'd have to go do out, do uh, presence patrols out there on foot. And um, it just goes through little villages and everything is nothing, nothing crazy. But after one of our um, operations and stuff, we came back and there's a bunch of dudes just running around in shorts and t-shirts and stuff. And I was like, what freaking crap are these? Because, I mean, I'm on full body armor and my helmet and everything like that. Wearing and, like 120 pounds of oh, gear. Oh, man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm cool. Yeah. They didn't oh. have to wear all this crap in the movies. No, it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. And legitimately, yeah, we uh, weighed our LBVs and stuff like that. The gear fully loaded weighs anywhere from 60 to 80 pounds of extra gear on you. So it's, it's, like it's fire pretty gear. heavy. Yeah. 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 And so I saw these guys, and I mean, I was just like, what the freaking crap are these dudes? <laughs> so um, long story short, I mean, it was a day, and then I ran into one of them in, in the gym, and I started talking to him and asking him about it. And he's like, yeah, I'm with a 10th Special Forces group. And I, I mean, I've heard like, you know, the stories of the Green Berets and stuff like that. And everybody's seen Rambo. And I mean, that's who he's supposed to be. It, yeah. He was an old uh, Green Beret. But uh, I was just started talking to him about it and stuff. And I was like, man, I'm like, I'm in a combat zone. I'm wearing all this kit. I'm being told what to do 24-7. And these guys are just running around by themselves. And I mean, they're usually 10-man groups and stuff like that. So they're not by themselves, but they don't have 40 or 50 guys running around with them. And so, um, yeah, that's what planted the seed. Um, and so I talked to him a couple more days before he took off. And uh, from that moment on, I was like, man, that's what I want to do. Um, and also, it's kind of the next step up for, like, in our job. If you start out at the infantry, uh, infantry soldier, there's kind of a tier to it. Like, rangers are the next step up, and then SF is, like, the next step up from that. So it's mm -hmm. also kind of in, been in my personality. I always wanted to be the best at whatever I did. And so I, don't, I hate just being complacent and, uh, yeah, good enough. And so, yeah, that was the next thing I needed to do. And so, um, yeah, when I got back from that trip in Kosovo, took about three or four months off and then went to selection, Special Forces selection. And so I did that, um, I think it was May of 2002, and I got selected. And then I didn't start the school. The course is about a year and a half long for the MOS I got picked for. So I started the course in 03, or at the end of 02, and then finished in 03, at the very end of 03. So, yeah, that started my Special Forces career. So. So then, once you got done with selection and all that stuff, you went to an ODA team? Yeah, yeah. So after we get, or after you finish up the qualification course, the Q course, you get assigned to a, uh, a group. 
and there's there's five groups that are active um first group third group seventh group tenth group and i already said first group how many did i count <laughs> first <laughs> third, <laughs> fifth that's the one i was missing yeah. so first yeah first third fifth uh seventh and tenth and uh, they're supposed to give you a choice, like, you know, your wish list of where you want to go. Right. They're going to yeah. send you at the dead last yeah. of your list, so, right? Yes. Well, yeah. mine added up to where they sent me because I picked <laughs> <laughs> I picked 10th, then 7th, and then 1st, and I ended up getting 3rd. And oh. so, yeah. And the reason, like, uh, our groups, depending on what group you get sent to, is the region of the world you work in. And so, like, first group works in, like, the Pacific um, over in their they have a battalion over in Okinawa and they work in that Southeast Asia area. Mm-hmm. Third group originally was in Africa, but then when this whole Middle East thing kicked off, we took over Middle East, Southeast Asia. And then fifth group is Middle East and uh 10th group is the European area theater. And then seventh group is down in uh, South America. And so, yes, out of all the places I was like, I do not want to go to Africa or, <laughs> or the Southeast Pacific, i.e. Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan. And yeah, that's where we all went. So, yeah. So yeah, cause they knew, I guess the war, cause it was Oh three. And so the war was just getting, starting to kick off pretty heavy. And so basically all the people in my class were sent to third group. There's a couple of them that got a couple other groups. But the majority of us were sent to third group, and I graduated in, I think, October, and then we deployed in, I want to say it was May, April or May. So, yeah, we had about five months off after school to before I deployed to Afghanistan for the first time. And it was... Um, it was a it was a different experience because when uh when you finish the course i'm sure it's a lot like the firefighter stuff they show you the basics they show you hey this is how things are supposed to work and this is what how the equipment works yeah. but then when you actually start doing it you're like what <laughs> you're like what the heck yeah, yeah. yeah. you're like yeah. practical application yes. is not yeah. yeah they don't teach you that it's definitely hands-on learning yeah. experience and it's the same thing there. So there was so much stuff that I had no idea that I didn't even know I didn't know. And so it was basically just drinking from a fire hose for the first, like, four months I was on a team before I deployed. And then, uh, yeah, so when I deployed, went to Afghanistan, uh, did seven months. No, yeah, seven, somewhere around there, six or seven months in Afghanistan, my first trip. Um, it wasn't a super crazy trip and this is where like this is where it might start getting a little hard for me to talk about a lot of this stuff and i'm not going to go into like details of any of it yeah Um, whatever you're good with we're good with yeah but man even even like thinking about the the trips and deployments and the friends man this happens every time and this is why i just stop i I don't i I don't think about it and uh probably part of the (laughs) problems that's going on with me too so but yeah anyway um oh four it wasn't a terrible trip and i'm just gonna kind of scoot or like skate through like so i deployed uh seven times um six times with sf and then once with the infantry um, all my SF trips were all combat deployments, um, and pretty much every one of them saw stuff. I mean, did stuff, saw stuff, and stuff that just messes with me right now. 
And so, yeah, I've got, I guess, a total of almost, uh, well, not almost 48 months in combat zone. And when you're doing the stuff, you don't really realize what it's doing to you uh, mentally and emotionally and stuff like that. And um, I still didn't realize it until, gosh dang, about two and a half years ago. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. So. <clears throat> yeah, man, I mean, I know it's definitely it's hard to talk about so and like chris said if you're not comfortable you know don't don't talk about anything you're not comfortable talking about that's not what we're about um so like you said things started to hit you yeah what sucks is like even right now like with you guys and stuff because like Okay, I don't know you that well and stuff like that, but I feel like I know you guys. I mean, because you guys, especially you, Jeremy. I mean, man, we spent time in treatment and stuff together, so there's that kindred spirit. Yeah. So I'm not ashamed of, like, getting emotional in front of you. I just don't understand it myself. Like, because for so long, I mean, you know, we're men. I mean, and oh yeah, men, men oh, yeah. don't show emotions. They yeah. don't cry. They don't do any of this stuff. I got this. Yeah. yeah. And I mean... That's the way we're raised. That's the way society tells us we are. And that's the stereotype. And, and it's not even like you actively try not to do that stuff. It just becomes who you are. Like, I haven't cried. The last time I remember crying was probably when I was, I don't know, maybe 15 or 16 years old. Um, and then after that, it was just, I started becoming just numb and dead to the world. Like, because... Uh, it was easier, I guess you would say, to deal with it like that. And so, and then I joined the military, and man, that's, yeah, that fit their mold perfectly because they don't want you to have emotions. They don't want you to feel anything. The only emotion that you're allowed to feel there is anger. Uh, that's it. And they, they reward anger. And so the angrier you get, as long as you're not destructive towards your own people, then, hey, you're doing great. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just starts building on itself. And even though you don't even you don't realize that it's doing it, it's changing you emotionally. Um, and so, I mean, man, I've seen some freaking crazy stuff over there, and seen have friends die right next to me, and I never once cried, not one time for them. And then um, looking back at it now, I'm just like, what the heck? Like, how can you not? And so now. Well. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I mean, there's a little bit of that, you know, it, it's a survival mechanism. It is. It you is. know, because if you're, and I would assume, because I don't know, you know, I've never been in a firefight. I've never had bombs going off. I've, you know, I've never done any of that stuff. I think about the closest thing that I could say is, yeah, I've been in a burning building, but it's not the same. I mean, there's risk there, obviously, but it, shit ain't flying at my face yeah. yeah and if you take the time and again i'm just i'm equating it to what i know if you sit there and you need to act but you're worried about this other thing over here you i mean yeah you're yeah. dead right you know and it's it i think we've kind of talked about this before well, you know well, yeah. it's it's an immediacy it's the the problem has to be handled right now yeah you know, and then later, I can think about it, and then our tendency is later never comes, later never comes because you know uh, it's well, I got this other thing. Yeah, 
you know, especially in, you know, the combat zone. And well, that, and then we're good at just pushing stuff away. I mean, because oh, yeah. we're guys, we don't sit there and address our feelings or emotions or issues and stuff like that, so we, we suppress them. Yep. And I mean, that becomes our typical coping mechanism. And so, yeah, I mean, that went on multiple times. And um, over the last, gosh, I guess it started happening in June of, or June, not June, January of 2018, when basically the dam just broke and the wheels fell off. I was driving home from work um, and in traffic, it's, I live, I don't know, probably 13 miles from my job. And man, I got a train stopped. And so I was in traffic uh, behind a train and I don't know what hit me. I just start bawling and I'm just like, what, what's happening? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, and not just, you know, just a boo-hoo. I mean, just bawling like the, oh, and I was like, what is happening? I couldn't stop it. And I'm like, what, what's causing this? Like there was no outside influence. There was nothing causing it. I mean, I just started bawling and, um, so yeah after that whole freaking episode um i started having issues at work and just anger um bad anger issues and just to put it in context um i went from being operational uh in 2017 i was in somalia um southern somalia doing uh, work out there and i got an email from my command that said that after my trip there that i'd basically reached my time on um, being a team sergeant and so i had to go do another job and a lot of times um when you reach that that point in your career you'll go teach or you'll instruct or something like that but somehow i got stuck um in a desk job and i got sent out to uh kansas to do a desk job and when i first got the notification um i'd been at fort bragg for almost 18 years of my life and so i mean my kids were born there had two houses there and all that and i was ready just to be like no i'm not going and sign a, a deck statement which is declining the orders but when you do that um basically they force you out on your next reenlistment or basically basically you're saying i'm done with the military and i'm going to be getting out and so I was going to do that, and my wife was like, no, let's, uh, let's go out there and see what happens. And so I went out here or out to Kansas to do, to do that job. And at first it wasn't bad. Um, it was a desk job, and I, I, it's just not me. Um, to do desk <laughs> jobs is one problem. But then the other problem is, is, man, I just came from spending the last – gosh 17 years 16 years out on an ODA um doing different stuff you know every day doing something active and stuff like that and um also the environment I was working with just a bunch of older uh, officers and everything and nothing there's not I mean every one of them great people great people but the problem was is our mentality just totally different um and so couldn't really relate to any of them and i didn't understand what was going on because man i was just angry i would go to work and i would just be pissed off and they didn't really know how to deal with it and um the i guess the culmination of it was one day i went in there and i didn't know how to i just got yeah emotional man grabbed the keyboard and just started smashing it on a desk and of course everybody's like holy what, <laughs> what's happening right now and they were scared and kind of what the heck's going on with this guy and stuff like that and so i got sent to behavior health um and yeah two two and a half years later i'm 
got medically retired from the military. So, yeah, within that two and a half years, I mean, me and you were <laughs> yeah. together in treatment for some of it and stuff. But, man, yeah, it's been, it's been, and that's where I'm at right now. It's been a rough two and a half years. So, so yeah, that kind of brings you up to date on that one. So, yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, I'm sure it was a shock going from, you know, what you were doing to a desk job. I mean, I know how I'd kind of feel about that because before I got on the fire department, that's what I did was a desk job. And I went straight from playing college basketball to a desk job. Yeah. And it's like, this this is not me. I need to be moving. I need to be active. I can't, I can't sit here and type on a keyboard all day. Right. And, you know, luckily I found the fire department, which, you know, led to everything else but you know i don't regret that yeah yeah and that's i'm the same way like i i just can't be sedentary like that and do desk work and stuff yeah. but i mean it's some people can and like i said i mean the people i work with they love the job they were in out there so there's no stress nothing you just show up to work <laughs> send a few papers send a few emails out to the people that need it and then sit around and talk all day and i'm just like what what, what, is, what is happening right now when, when is pt again oh, so, no more safety belts right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes i would lose my goddamn mind <laughs> So, yeah, and so, I mean, man, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. So. so, we kind of, you know, talk about mental health on this podcast and all that stuff and the cultures that we come through, you know, with the fire department. We've talked to some nurses previously and kind of how their culture is. What would you say as far as, like, SF and mental health? Like, is it, if somebody is having a problem, is it like everybody rallies around or is it, oh, we don't know that guy anymore? Well, I'm actually a pretty good case study on this one too, because my, my issues actually, I didn't realize that they were hitting, but they actually started hitting around 2012, um, after my last, uh, deployment to, uh, Pakistan. Um, and I didn't know what was happening, um, because the way it works is you'll spend, I spent almost eight years on the ODA the first time I was there, and then you go to the schoolhouse so that you can teach other kids or other uh, guys coming through SF. And we call it the schoolhouse, but, I mean, you're out in the field teaching them field craft and how to operate out in the woods and basically all that kind of stuff. And so that was my job. And uh, it wasn't much of a stretch because, I mean, I'm, that's what I do for a living is I did it out in different countries, and now I'm doing it teaching the other guys getting ready to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I spent three years doing that. Um, but little did I know that's when a lot of these things that have been building inside of me started coming out because I had my first panic attack. Um, I was actually – a guy was delivering some stuff to our base. Um, we It's a small base out in North Carolina, not Fort Bragg. It's uh, away from Fort Bragg. No. I know people here at Fort, no, no, Fort yeah. Bragg's huge. Yeah. So um, can't McCall for the people that know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, he was delivering something, and man, out of nowhere, I started, I thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, I was just standing there, and all of a sudden, my whole body just starts tingling and starts going numb. And I was like, God dang, I'm like, I'm 34 years old and I'm about to die of a heart attack. <laughs> and I mean, 
it's i didn't know what was going on and next thing i know i'm laying on the ground and i'm just like i was waiting to die i mean that's all i can say is like the fear you have of this is it i mean you just think about everything that's happening and yeah things you're gonna miss and stuff and i was laying there waiting to die and i didn't die so i was like <laughs> well hell <laughs> i gotta figure out what's going on and so yeah i mean of course i went to the doctors and everything and clean bill of health and i mean it was panic attack and that was the first one i ever had in my life and so i had no clue what caused it i still really don't know what caused it um but the reason it's significant is because for the next almost seven months man started happening regularly almost at least once a week i was having a panic attack out of nowhere and was I, it always when you were on on base or at the camp or were you was, at home they were actually most of the time when i was away from base and that's um yeah so if i was out in my own around my own house because i own 15 acres out there and so if i was out around my own house and stuff is that and then in public anytime i'd get in public i mean it would just start yeah i would start getting those tingling feelings and i mean i knew they were starting to come on because then i started realizing the symptoms of them and so i'd try to go someplace where i could have it and not look like a complete asshole so <laughs> so so because what's stupid about it is there's to a certain extent you can work your way through them but once they start it's almost impossible to stop a full-blown panic attack um you just have to almost ride the waves and um i won't fast forward yet fast forward though i mean uh, i've kind of learned how to manage them a lot better and so i can deal with them now so they're not the whole full-blown falling on the ground thinking i'm dying of a heart attack and stuff like that um, but when they hit, it's just your whole body goes tense and you have that tingling feeling and you're like, man, I could die right now. And it feels like you're, yeah, your body's just about to quit yeah, on you. You got that sense of impending doom yeah, and all of yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And so that went on for about eight months. And um, I still don't even know how I worked through that. Um, the only thing I could say is I knew I was going back to a team. And so I knew I had to get my, my stuff together because if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to be back on an ODA. Um, and so I knew that I had to get something figured out or bury it, hide it, somehow to manage it. And long so story instead short, instead of fixing it, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> let's no. not fix anything. No, not at that time. So, and I mean, it goes back to your question of like, what does the culture think of it? There's no room for it. And I mean, I hate to say it like that, but in the job we're in, um, there's no room for it. If a guy, if it happens to him, he's got to leave um, because he can't be on a team anymore because at any given time it could happen and now you're putting his life in danger or your life in danger and all your teammates in danger. Right. And so the moment it happens, yeah, I mean, you're you're done. And that's why I didn't, I never sought behavior health. I never sought help because I knew that's what would happen. And I was like, there's no way I can live without going back to my team. And so, um, yeah, I hit it and went back to an ODA and worked on an ODA for another four years. And then uh, probably wasn't the smartest idea because, man, just the best way I can say it is once that, that once there's a crack in that dam, then it just starts amplifying all the other problems you see past that. So um, in Somalia and stuff, same thing. I mean, we were we had one of our patrols hit IED and stuff and the one of the guys was mangled i mean just messed up and 
when I saw it, man, it just, it messed me up. Um, and not like before, before it didn't bother me. It was just like, okay, it happened. It wasn't me. I'm moving on because I got to just keep working. When I saw him, I just stood there and I was just like, God dang. And I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to put it into words, but you just freeze. And it's not like I was standing there for five seconds even that it was probably maybe one or two seconds but it's like time stands still it felt like an eternity it felt like an eternity in those one or two seconds that i was just sitting there staring at him and i was just like man something's wrong with me because this never has bothered me before and now it just does and so we still had i still had about two or three months left on that trip and i mean i was drunk every day every day that i wasn't doing something where i was in position uh to be around people because i mean in our job we're secluded we have our 12 guys on our own little base and so we're around each other and so when i say i was drunk every day i wasn't shit face drunk but i was yeah i had a little bit of the sauce in me every day just to help that that emotions just to help uh i guess numb, numb them or dull them mm -hmm. um and so that went on for about the last month and a half two months of my trip and over there and uh when I got back, started drinking again heavily because I just didn't know how to deal with the stuff. Um, and this is in a court or going on concurrent with all the other crap that's going on at work and stuff too. This is the things I'm doing when I'm going home at night. And I, when I, when I realized that I, I really had a problem is when I bought liquor and was drinking in my garage for the first time in my life. Um, because my wife, her mom died as an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, her dad's an alcoholic. And so our whole family has been around alcoholics and we didn't want that for our kids. And I never wanted, my kids have never seen me drink and I've never wanted them to see that because yeah, I mean, it, it messes you up. And so, so yeah, one, one night or evening or something, I was sitting in my garage hiding the alcohol and drinking in my garage. And that's when in my own head, I knew that I'd crossed the line that man, shit's going to start getting stupid. And so, um, I still didn't seek help though at that time when I started finally seeking help, even and this is, this is, this stuff is happening a little before I broke the keyboard before they mandatory or sent me there mandatory, <laughs> mandatory, <laughs> mandatorily before they, nicely before they made me, sent me there. Yeah. yeah. This, this stuff was happening before that. And so, because once again, man, I was struggling because um, I knew the moment I go to behavioral health, my career is pretty much done with, with all the stuff I knew what was going on inside my head and that I've done and everything. I knew it wasn't going to be like, oh, yeah, he can go to behavioral health, get better, and then we'll put him back out there. And so I was trying to avoid it as long as possible. And I was trying to work through it because I'd already done it one time. And so I was going to try to do it again. But um, it wasn't working. Like every night, it was just, I mean, it's not even every night. It's just every day, every, it seemed like every waking moment, the only thing I could think about was killing myself. Um, and I was tired of living. Um, and not tired of living, I was tired of the pain. I was tired of uh, not knowing what's causing the pain. Not knowing uh, why you can't just uh, fit in, fit into a nine to five job and uh, enjoy it. And I mean, I'm, I'm married, have two kids. I have a nice home, nice job. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? You have all the stuff that society says 
is what makes you happy. And man, I was losing my shit every day. Um, and just a couple things in particular, there's a bridge that goes across our river and it's probably a hundred feet high. And every day I would drive by it, I would just sit there and think about stopping and jumping off of it. Um, and not necessarily because it would kill me. I mean, it might. It's in a pretty big river, pretty deep, and I'm a good swimmer. So I was like, yeah. There's a lot of crap in that river, Bart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you are more than likely going to hit a tree. Yeah, something, <laughs> something. But at that point, I just didn't care. And, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know how to deal with those thoughts either because – I didn't know where they uh, originated from or why I wanted to do that. And so that bothered me. I mean, and every day, because there was a couple of times I actually slowed down and stopped right on the bridge. And it was almost like a 50-50 coin flip of whether I was going to get out of my truck and just jump right over the side. Um, but I never did. And, um, yeah. And the other things I did, like I said, drinking to deal with it and gambling. Uh, man, this, <laughs> this is my be hard um i mean you know about it but i lost my entire life savings uh gambling um and what sucks about that is when when i was doing it I, I just didn't even care it wasn't even it didn't even feel real and i mean it's close to well it was a little over seven hundred thousand dollars um and um and I'm not getting emotional because of the money, because I know that's worthless. It's because of, like, the way um, my, I guess what I took from my wife and my kids, um, because money's not everything. absolutely agree with that, but it gives you some security, or it helps you. I mean, it makes life easier. And I guess I, I feel bad for taking that from them, so it makes me feel selfish because I was doing it because um it made me feel good in the moment and uh and that's what's hard to deal with um so so yeah that was another thing i was dealing with um but i would do it because i didn't know what else to do i didn't know how to handle these emotions or handle these feelings um i didn't know how to deal with just life waking up and dealing with life every day um, so then after the gambling, ran out of money, couldn't do that anymore, uh, started cutting. And I mean, every time uh, when things get really bad, just start cutting the shit out of myself, arms, legs, chest. And that's been going on for, gosh dang, four or five years, I guess, at least. And then it's just gotten really bad within the last year. Um, and then uh, what's stupid is then I'm embarrassed when I go out in public and people see my arms all cut to shit, they're like, this guy needs to be in the god dang funny farm, you know? <laughs> so, and then people look at you funny. And I mean, I got it. If I saw somebody whose arms were all cut up and had shit all over them, man, I would be like, what, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And stuff like that. And so, so, but in the moment. In the moment is the only thing you can think of that's going to give you a little bit of relief. Yeah. And believe me, I get it's either that, that or killing myself. Yeah, and so it's the it's the lesser of two evils at the moment, and uh, it's what's gotten me through this far. And so, yeah, and I mean, as bad as it sucks, yeah, I mean, I'm still breathing, so it, it's helped. So, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of a summation of what's going on up to this point. And I mean, I've been in treatment. God dang, probably 
I've been an inpatient, probably about nine months of inpatient treatment. And I mean, I've been seeing a psychologist for uh, three years now, I guess. And it helps. There, It goes in waves. Um, I'm in a freaking gully right now. <laughs> so, but yeah. it'll go up and it'll go down highs and lows. And, uh, but man, this shit just never stops. So, yeah, we were talking about it earlier. It's, it's a journey, man, and it's an everyday, you know, one foot in front of the other, you know. Yeah. It's a grind. And that's what, and I mean, well, we were in Valor together, so we saw those people, but even my buddies, I talked to them, and man, half of them are dealing with it too. They're mm -hmm. doing the same thing, and it's, it's just, it's different for everybody, and that's one thing I've realized is there's no, there's no, uh, hey, just do these steps and yeah. it gets better. It doesn't. I mean, for some people, certain things might help it get better, and for others, it takes different things. And yeah. I don't know. For me, I have yet to find those things that help. I mean, it's like they've been putting a bunch of band aids on a freaking, I don't know, a huge cut that's just not healing. Well, the important thing is that you keep looking yeah. and keep searching because eventually, you know, you're going to find that one treatment plan or whatever that is going to make a difference you know and that's that's part of it is staying committed to getting better to finding the treatment that works you know because it is like you said one treatment doesn't work for everybody you know like the equine therapy might help with this but it doesn't help with that you know or this person might be you know the talk therapy is the best thing in the world for them another one needs something else you know emdr neurofeedback i mean the list goes on and on and on and there's no it's one of those questions where there's no one right answer and as much as i hate to say that about anything chris yeah. knows yeah but there really is no one answer to the question yeah so i mean i dude honestly i count myself as extremely lucky that what worked for me worked the first time out you know i mean because yeah. i never i never sought any treatment or anything i never even thought i had a problem until hey i got a huge problem, I had a problem yeah. <laughs> and you know but you know thankfully it worked so yeah and i think i think just i've been around enough people in treatments and everything to see just the different variety of people it happens to everybody mm -hmm. or in all different walks of life different uh genders different jobs it doesn't it's an, it's not set to just one one position one job one gender anything one age it's all through i mean we were in true or in a valor with what kids 18 years old all the way up to 60 so yeah. i mean it happens to all age brackets i guess the biggest thing that i saw though is like like you were saying you got to keep wanting to be better um and i guess that's the difference in the people that are still here as opposed to the people that are just giving up and now they're full-blown alcoholics laying out on the street somewhere it's at that point you're just like man screw it i'm ready to just quit and die yeah. so and i'm not to that point yet and so if i ever get to that point <laughs> if you get to that point I'm misery. Gonna, <laughs> so, i will kick your ass yeah but it and it and that is it's important um 
on that note. Like I am, I'm, uh, what is it? I'm very reluctant to uh, not reach out to people, but to be around people um, in my emotional, my current emotional state, just because, man, I'm all over the freaking place. And it, it's almost when you're around other people, you you try to be friendly and stuff like that. Um, and it's kind of fake and it becomes exhausting because you really just want to be like, man, screw everything. I'm not happy. This isn't funny. Um, even though I like you guys, screw you yeah, <laughs> and I'm stuff. Offended. And so I'm offended right now, Bart. <laughs> yeah, I really I, I know exactly what he's saying. <laughs> so I know that mode. And that's like when, when you're dealing with all these other emotional problems, you just don't have the energy to deal with people and try to make them, um, comfortable i guess is the best word comfortable right. about being around you and stuff like that and so i isolate i mean you know that You've yeah tried texting calling me and i'm horrible about <laughs> yeah for <laughs> a communications back. guy you're yeah. the worst yeah yeah but and, i it, dude i'm not offended by it i understand it no. believe me i do and, um, and i know you are and that's what makes it it, it makes it better and i this is what i'm so for the people that are listening or who will see this and stuff it is important to have people in your life when you're dealing with these kind of issues that understand it and accept you for who you are and what you're dealing with and don't expect you to act a certain way and um answer every cell phone or answer every text message immediately because man sometimes we can't sometimes you're just in the mood where you're just like i i just don't have it in me to say anything because i don't know what i'll say or i don't want to talk right now um but you have to have those support mechanisms in your in your life and i'm men are horrible about this i'm one of them we're horrible about reaching out and um um asking for help yeah or just hanging out with guys outside of your family um because when we grow up and it's not everybody um a lot of guys grow up and i mean they still maintain their friendships with their buddies and stuff like that but it's nothing really deep um because you have your wife and your kids and that's kind of the center or core of your your family and i guess for me I, I got that fulfillment because I was on a team with 10 guys or 12 guys. And so I would get that camaraderie every day when I went to work. And so when I would come home, I didn't I, I didn't go hang out with my buddies because I, I was with them every day for 9, 10 hours a day. And then six, seven months out of every year, I was with them. And so when I was at home, I spent every minute I could with my wife and kids. And so now, though, you still have that behavior um, – in you but now i don't have my buddies to hang out with and so that's something that a lot of military people i'm not sure about firefighters you guys and stuff like that but a lot of military people deal with because mm -hmm. they they've done the exact same thing i have i mean you deploy all the time with your buddies so you don't hang out with them when you're back home and so then when you retire and you lose that out of your life, <laughs> now you're just like what I, and you don't even know you're missing it but there's something missing yeah and but it's hard just to it's not i guess it's just it's not the same just to go hang out with a bunch of guys that i guess you don't really feel like you connect to there's a difference in um in knowing somebody and hanging out with them and stuff like that but being like uh 
knowing, hey, man, I've been where you've been at. I've done what you've done, so I understand, like, the things you're going through and the things you've dealt with. There's a different sense of camaraderie there. Yeah. Just like um, cops, I mean, same thing. Firefighters have that same camaraderie with you guys. Cops, same thing. Military personnel. And there's a few things that do go across the aisles, just like the adrenaline, the rush, that kind of stuff, adrenaline rushes and stuff. And that kind of stuff does go across the aisles. Um, but like you are talking about, about having to kill somebody or having to worry about constantly about somebody killing you, that stuff doesn't cross those aisles. And so it's hard to find, unless you find somebody that's done that or lived that or had to do it, It's there's a different sense of... Uh, there's a different type of relationship there. Right. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I know I'm saying a whole lot without saying much there. <laughs> but, and, and like I said, like, man, Jeremy, like we were talking about, like me and you are like two peas in the same pod. And so I've always appreciated your friendship and everything like that. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is I've got to learn to get outside of that box because I stick myself in that box. I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, if they haven't been to war, then they really don't know or they can't uh, relate to me and stuff. And yeah, you can't relate in that one area, but man, me and you, everything else, everything else is relate to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. But just personality, the things we like being adventurous, being outdoorsy, working on vehicles. I mean, athletic, yeah. constantly wanting to move and do stuff like that and stuff. And so, yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is you've, when you get stuck in this black hole that you're in you do what you used to do like you because it's what's comfortable and mm -hmm. you're like okay if i can't find what's comfortable i'm just not going to do it and that i find myself doing that all the time is okay if uh, it's not going to be comfortable i'm just not going to do it and yeah, yeah i've got to learn to get out of that so baby steps yeah so that's that you know every day Put your shoes on, walk outside. <laughs> I know, as stupid as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's the truth, though. I mean, yes. you know, if you, like you said, if you constantly, if you just stay what's uncomfortable, you know, it, I'm just going to be comfortable all the time, you know, you're never going to grow. You're never going to get anywhere. You're just going to keep doing the same stuff over and over again. Well, you're just sitting on your couch waiting to die. Yeah. That's what my life has been like for over a year, just yeah. sitting on my couch waiting to die. So I'll equate it to, because I've watched some videos, so I'm kind of an expert, <laughs> so don't laugh. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever you went through ranger school, mm -hmm. right? I'm sure that was, they were tucking you in the bed at night, <laughs> yeah, no. and, you know, everything was all just easy, easy as yeah. pie, right? Yeah. No, it was hard. You know, yeah. and but you grew through that experience, you know, same thing with selection. You know, it's hard. It's mentally and physically grueling. And but if you don't go through that process, then you don't come out the other side. Yeah. You know, you yeah. get shipped back to with the gear in the rear well that's how i look at because my wife is always at me of like why don't you just get better why don't you just get better i'm like god dang i'm like you know what i've been through i'm like if i could just will myself to get better by all means i would i'm like i would just will myself to get better i'm like it doesn't work like that and i don't know why it doesn't work like that and so yeah man i get what you're saying it but it it blows yeah <laughs> so hmm. I feel you, man. It does. I mean, it sucks. 
it's a, it's a long process and can be longer for some than others and you know but you're taking the steps you're moving forward yeah you know and the thing that i would encourage you to remember is you're not alone you know yeah. you have people that you can reach out to former team guys you know me whoever and yeah like you said we don't share one aspect of our past but you know well that and yeah and just just having people regardless if they're military or not or for you like if they're firefighters or not and stuff like that just having people like you said that you can trust enough to reach out and be like hey man I've got a gun in my hand and I'm thinking about blowing my brains out. Uh, I need some help. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's, it's important because there's a couple of nights that I was, yeah, uh, looking at killing myself and, uh, called my sister. And she, she, she basically helped me not to kept me from doing it. So, and I mean, there was there was two nights specifically that that happened, um, and so it is important if you're dealing with this kind of stuff to have somebody that you know that no matter what time of day it is, what time of night it is, that you can call them because we when you're dealing with this, you have no idea when it's going to hit. Like, um, I mean, I'll be up sometimes all night long because I'm afraid to go to sleep because of the the stuff that happens, and uh. So in the middle of the night, four in the morning, like when the shit gets really bad, <clears throat> sometimes you need to call somebody because you can't deal with it on by yourself anymore. And uh, I, I mean, I'm married, but she she pretty much hates me right now, <clears throat> and so uh, I can't really talk to her about it or anything like that. So you do you have to have somebody that you can reach out that you trust that you can yeah. Uh, call it any time of the night, day, whatever. Because, like I said, you have no idea when this is going to happen. Because we don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, I could walk out to my truck in five minutes and have one of these episodes, and and that's what sucks. Is you just don't know what triggers it. You don't know what causes it, triggers it, or anything. So, so yeah. Dude, that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but it's, you know, and that's the thing that people need to to understand of what, you know, people go through. And especially, you know, veterans coming back that saw the things that you saw and have done the things that you've done, you know, that's, that's not normal for a human being to see that much combat. And then it's like, okay, you're fine go go ahead no yeah i mean there there needs to be you know some decompression some dealing with it you know all of that stuff has to happen so you can continue to function like it, you know yeah and, and like you need to and that's the big i know when you first asked me to do this man i was just like hell no in my <laughs> head i was like there's no way i'm gonna talk get on there because i knew i mean i knew moment i start talking about some of this stuff man i just i can't control it anymore um the emotions just hit me and i was like yeah but there's other people out there that's dealing with the same stuff trying to figure it out trying to get through it um and like i said 
or like we both said not it don't have to be just military i mean freaking we were in valor with everybody first responders cops air force everybody whatever you're dealing with in your I like how you threw the air force <laughs> not part of the military <laughs> the chair force yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no you're right man i mean so. it's everybody deals with it and that's the whole point of getting together and talking you know and putting it out there is to to show people yeah it's okay yeah you're, you're dealing with some stuff hey there's some resources out there for you you can get better you can get through it you're not alone you know and if we can by sharing our story you know sharing your story his story my story the other people that we're, we've talked to and that we're going to talk to if we can keep somebody from going down that road yeah. of saying okay i'm i see what they're talking about i'm early on that path but i can see it so i'm going to make some changes yeah. you know or i'm going to start taking my mental health seriously or whatever the case may be so it's just another way of trying to help people and make things a little bit better man and it really does help because um something as simple as this uh i've got on when i've had a, some of my panic attack episodes and didn't really know how to deal with it i would get on youtube and look at people that have them too and have them constantly and just saw how they dealt with it and what they did to go through it or how they got through it and stuff like that. And so it did help. And so, yeah, something like this. And that's why I agreed to do this because, I mean, who knows? There could be somebody out there that sees it and says, hey, I relate to this guy. And I know I feel how he's feeling and I understand it. And, man, um, yeah, so that's what I'm here. So good deal yeah it isn't easy talking about this stuff and it's not fun either <laughs> I, didn't, no. I didn't figure this would be an easy one at all for anybody especially especially you and no i'm glad you did it i, I really am well, yeah. proud of you man appreciate it yep i appreciate it of you know of all the people that whenever we were talking about doing this because this has been in the works for almost a year of us trying to get this off the ground and you know oh we'll put it off for this and uh we'll think about that and but one name that just kept coming back to me is I, I got to get Bart on. He needs to tell his story, you know. Yeah. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping it helps the people that come on. Like, I'm hoping it helps Bart a little bit, too. Or a lot. I'm hoping for a lot, but I'll take, I'll, I'll take that baby step, <laughs> man. A little too. I'll take the baby step. <laughs> I'm with you. Because, I mean, we've we hung out a few times, and man, I, yeah. I like you, man. I, yeah. I, I, we, ha we have fun. Absolutely. And and I don't want to see anything, and... I know you've got Jeremy's number, but I'm I'm not far away either, man. If you guys need we'll show up together if you want or whatever you need. This is get our little kitty fishing pools out here in your pond. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go fishing all day long, man. <laughs> get the Zebco rod and reel yeah. going. Yeah. We'll, throw, we'll get a little jumbo yeah. we'll throw it out there. <laughs> oh good luck. Little umbrella and we'll paddle, paddle you around. <laughs> you know, you can sit back and relax. Uh, oh my goodness. Well, thanks for coming on, man. We've been yeah, almost right on about fifty-five minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> we, can, like we, we planned this. Yeah, we, we <laughs> can sit here for six more minutes in silence uh, and just wait for it to hit an hour. Yeah. But no, I think that was a good ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you, Bart, for coming on, yeah, telling so your story. Um, everybody out there, you know, like I say every time, if you're going through something call somebody there are resources out there um 
there are people who care. So you're not alone, and, you know, you can move forward through it. So, all right, everybody have a good one.